listening to the Colorado Springs Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by the Envision Advisors at Your Castle Real Estate. Hey everyone, Chris Lopez here, and welcome back to another episode in our, actually I should say, welcome to our first real episode in the Colorado Springs Real Estate Investing Podcast. So in this episode, Jenny Bayless is gonna walk us through a very detailed comparison of some of her out-of-state investing compared to some of her Colorado Springs investing. So Jenny, how are you doing? I'm doing great, how are you doing, Chris? Doing good. I'm really curious to see the uh, the data on here because years ago I looked at it. I've had this conversation hundreds of times with other people. So I'm curious to see what your numbers and what your data comes out to, especially since you're so numbers oriented. So jump into it and take it away. Awesome. So the purpose of this presentation is I just really wanted to kind of deep dive more so for my own, I guess, personal reflection of, um, you know, you often hear people saying, oh, I can't invest in Colorado or, you know, Colorado Springs is too expensive. I'm going to go out of state. And I actually, um, my investing journey in real estate actually did start out of state. So I thought it was kind of an interesting idea to take the uh, actual performance of an out-of-state property and also a Colorado Springs property that had similar characteristics um, and compare them. So, you know, for this particular example, we're going to run through um, one of them is a property from Indianapolis, which is a pretty popular Midwest cash flow market. And one is in Colorado Springs. They're both similar in the sense that they're, you know, turnkey rent ready. And we only held them for about two years and then sold them each. Um, so I wanted to show through this example of why I transitioned from out-of-state investing um, to entirely in Colorado Springs. So my entire portfolio is now here. Um, and, you know, just caveat, this is a self-reflection. It's based on my personal experience. I realize it's only <laughs> comparing two properties to each other, so it's not a perfect example, but just kind of wanted to um, chronicle, you know, my thought process and why, why I pivoted my strategy. And what, what market did you invest in out of state? Yeah, so we actually had um, two out-of-state markets that we invested in, Indianapolis and Chicago, and we invested in those early 2016. Um, this particular example is going to highlight uh, my very first property, which I referenced on our intro podcast uh, that I lost money on. <laughs> so, so that'll be kind of a fun to revisit that. It was my very first rental property that we had. Um, and then just kind of give a slight timeline of my investment is that um, my very first Colorado Springs investment was in September of 2016. Um, and then probably I had started accumulating a lot more Colorado Springs properties. And then about the middle of 2017, I started noting that my out-of-state properties actually had lower returns than the ones in Colorado Springs, um, which is kind of contrary to what, uh, you know, I thought was going to happen. And then by early 2018, we decided to sell our entire out-of-state portfolio and reinvest all the proceeds in Colorado Springs. So if you bought two out-of-state properties in early 2016, and that was the route mm -hmm. you wanted to go, why did you end up buying a place in, uh, in the Springs in September of 2016? 
Well, I have to give credit to my husband on that. Uh, so he, he works down here and he was down here for, you know, a work meeting or something. And he said, you know, I noticed that the properties here, they're, they look like they'd be good rental properties. You know, they're smaller single family homes kind of where he was driving around. What are the numbers on those? And I said, oh, that's a good idea. So we kind of dug into it and I ran the numbers and I said, Hey, this pretty decent. Um, why don't we give it a shot? So that's really how we accidentally fell into investing down here. All right, cool. Yeah. So I think that it's important to kind of go over performa numbers. So, um, I actually went back and dug up my old performa and put it in uh, the spreadsheet that we use. Um, and for Indianapolis property number one. So I bought this. And Jenny, before sorry to cut you off here, but yeah. explain to people what a pro forma number is and why you're highlighting this first. Yeah. So basically what this is taking is it's expected performance of a rental property. So, you know, before we bought this property, we, you know, we were given this pro forma, which I can, I can go into later, but um, saying, you know, this is what we expect the rental property performance to look like. And, you know, after going through it, not really knowing anything, again, this is our very first rental property. We were like, oh, that's pretty good, you know? Um, so we can kind of go through some of the numbers that um, we guessed on that. Um, and so bought this in March of 2016 as a single family home in Indianapolis. We were able to put 15% down, which is always appealing. Um, we bought it for 73,400, um, very minimal acquisition costs. It rented for 850 a month, which meets, exceeds the 1% rule that everyone talks about, which is, uh, 1%, um, meaning that your the rent is 1% of the purchase price on a monthly basis. So the purchase price was 73,000 and change. Mm -hmm. But your rent rate 50 months a year at, you know, one plus percent. Exactly. Then for that rule of thumb. Okay. Yep. So and just as down. a quick reminder, I mean, so that, you know, passed a, a, a very common rule, especially if people are out there in bigger pockets, you can't be on that website without seeing the 1% rule like all the time. Um, and that's definitely a metric a lot of newer investors use. But as Jenny goes through these numbers, you know, she's going to discuss them. It's a lot of numbers check the show notes and we got all the screenshots of the spreadsheets on here as well. Yeah. So um, just kind of going through some of the other factors um, at the time that we bought it, the mortgage rate was 4.875, which, you know, at that time we thought that was great for an investment property. Now that's pretty high <laughs> um, as of the time that we're recording this um, vacancy factor, 8%, that's one month out of the year, which um, we'll get back to on that in comparison to Colorado Springs, but um, I think that's pretty typical uh, across the U.S. Most people budget for about 8%. Um, and then we also plugged in 0% for rent increase and appreciation. And the reason for that is just based on our re research, we were always told, you know, for cash flow markets, appreciation is icing on the cake. And that's kind of, um, you know, what you hear a lot about. So, just put in zero for that to be safe. Um, property management, it was 9%, 13% um, reserves for monthly maintenance, no HOA, um, really cheap taxes, $230 a year, and then $600 a year for property insurance. So, so 
were these numbers that you guys plugged in or were these numbers from the, did you guys use a realtor, a turnkey company? Like who'd you use to find this property? Actually, we, I'm trying to ask you two questions. So who'd you use to find this property? <laughs> we used a turnkey company. So we were provided um, this information, which, um, you know, I'll kind of go over on another slide, but one of my self-reflection points after this was don't rely on other people's numbers. It's super, super important that you you know, try your best to do your own research, but you know, it's kind of a catch 22 because you don't know what you don't know. So it's, it's, it's a hard line to balance, especially when you're newer, but it comes, comes with time and practice for sure. And as a, as a total side note, this is what you just said there. This is a big reason why we like to have our clients do some of their own deal analyses. And then we will sit down and run through the numbers themselves we really wanted people to educate and actually understand the numbers. Uh, and so what Jenny said, ourselves included, make sure you understand the markets, whether you're investing in the Springs market or wherever, make sure you understand the numbers that we provide and definitely do your own due diligence because that's always critical. And we always do our best to find the most accurate numbers, the assumptions that we use. And we also want to teach you to analyze the properties as well. So just kind of going on to the, the other aspects of the spreadsheet that we always use here. Um, we're all in at 16,546 and we're seeing a, an expected cash on cash return of 14.2% and a cap rate of 8.6%, which that's, that's unbelievable, great. right? Yeah. So we're like, Hey, we don't know too much about investing, but this sounds pretty good to me. You know, you always hear you want more than 10% cash on cash. Um, so we were like, yeah, let's go ahead and get this one. So then just kind of skipping now to Colorado Springs. Again, this uh, is not a property that we bird. It was purchased rent ready off the MLS. Someone had flipped it uh, previous to us buying it. And so we bought it for 155,000. And at that time we were able to get a mortgage interest rate for 5%. And we budgeted $1,200 a month in rent. And then we plugged in the usual uh, percentages that, you know, you've seen Chris plug in his uh, Denver real estate properties, 3% vacancy, annual rent increase of 3%, annual appreciation rate, 5%. I did plug in property management of 10% and then an 8% monthly reserves, no HOA, and then just $900 each for taxes and insurance. Um, so just so, kind of, oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm curious. So were these, were these the assumptions you actually plugged in yourself a couple of years ago or you yes. kind of update now for the assumptions that you, you now use? Nope. These were pretty similar to what we used uh, in 2017 when we bought the property. So it's kind of funny how, um, you know, we use the same percentages <laughs> that you guys use. Well, that's a good sign. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, just. But wait, 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 Jenny. Yeah. This does not meet the 1% rule. No, it doesn't meet the 1% rule. It, Why'd it, you do it? You know, took a chance. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we liked it. Um, we liked the property. And um, I think further into the presentation, you guys will see that we made a pretty good decision on this one. So I think, you know, it's, it's good insight into the 1% rule isn't necessarily the end all be all when analyzing a property. 
Uh, and something I think is important to highlight here is, I mean, you self-manage your properties in the springs. Mm-hmm. So you're still budgeting for a 10% PM fee, but you can self-manage locally, but you had to, you were, you had to hire a property manager in Indianapolis, right? Exactly. Yeah. I'm not flying out there every time, you know, I need to collect rent or toilets leaking. I'm certainly not going to do that. So I like this because this is more of a apples to apples comparison. Mm-hmm. And then we also use 3% vacancy, which is pretty standard, which is uh, quite a bit lower than, you know, the, the out-of-state property. And we'll kind of go into how that in reality played out, I think. So for Colorado Springs going all in, total cash investment, 34520 And cash on cash return of 4.6% and a cap rate of 6.2%, which I would consider just average. How about you? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, getting a, a 6% cap rate, especially a couple of years ago, that's what we were seeing. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's very much like average investment property at that time. Mm-hmm. So, so neither one's a grand slam. N- exactly. Yeah. Um, So I wanted to then go in and show everyone what my actuals were. So I'm a big proponent of paper profit versus actual profit and really understanding the difference between the two. Um, We already talked about what the paper profit for the Indianapolis property was going to be. Which is Um, the same as a pro forma, right? mm -hmm, Exactly. And then going into, okay, how is this property actually performing? So... Um, for you, for those of you that are listening, it's going to be a little little hard to um, you know visualize at this point. So you might want to check on the YouTube video. But um, basically, I have the pro forma for year one, and then actual year one in comparison again for year two, and then I have a total pro forma and total actual. So just to kind of hit some of the highlight points, my pro forma year one and my actual year one. I actually did better than the performance. So that was really, really good. We didn't have anything pop up for repairs and maintenance. Well, come into year two, the reason why we didn't have anything pop up for repairs and maintenance is because the tenants that were in the property, um, you know, they pretty much destroyed the house. uh, And I guess they just never felt the need to call, you know, in year one until they moved out. And then that's Mm. when (laughs) everything was, was a hot mess. So um, you'll kind of see that the reserves for repairs and maintenance is extremely high. It's almost $3,000 that we ended up having to spend. Um, And then most importantly, we had super high vacancy rates. The property sat vacant for three months. Um, and the reasons for that is because one, the, you know, the tenants had messed up the property. So it took a while to get uh, tradespeople in there to fix it up. And then they left in the middle of winter in Indianapolis and no one wants to move in the middle of winter there. It's freezing cold. Um, and then on top of that, we had to spend $1,100 in utilities because we had to keep the house warm because we didn't want the pipes to burst. So what is, three months <laughs> was $1,100 for utilities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did, you have a, was, did you have like a sauna in there? I mean, that seems really expensive <laughs> or is that just utilities in Indianapolis? I'm guessing it's because the house is very inefficient is my best guess. 
Okay. And speaking uh, of that, like, can you, what, I mean, when was this property built? Do you have any indications like what type of class neighborhood or can you compare it to any like neighborhoods in, in, in the Springs just so we have some type of context or do you, or do you know? Yeah, it was built in the, um, well, it was built in the early 1900s. So, but in terms of neighborhood, it was just a typical, um, you know, working class neighborhood. It seemed you know, totally fine. Uh, you know, the particular tenants that we had, um, in there, it was just a couple of friends that, uh, didn't take good care of the place. <laughs> That's kind of what happened with that. Um, if that, if that kind of helps with context for that. Yeah. Um, so we ended up having a negative cash flow of almost $3,000 for that year because of the vacancy and the high utility and high reserves, um, you know, repair and maintenance costs. So if we took the combined total of, of holding this property for two years, we made a total of $413 in cash flow for two years. <laughs> and looking at these numbers, I, I would really uh, recommend people, you guys want to dive into this. This is a great spreadsheet screenshot. Check the show notes. But looking at the total actual so the two years of actual versus performer, which jumps out to me is your performer is about 20 grand in total rent. Your actual is about 15 grand in rent. Mm-hmm. And that was just, so that's more than three months of vacancy though. What else happened? Um, well, I guess it's probably important to note that we sold it in October, I think, okay. of year two. So it is going to show two months less in that regard also. Okay, so you had a couple yeah. months of vacancy just while you were selling the property. Mm-hmm. Okay, but did you actually hit the hit those pro forma rent numbers of was eight eight fifty? Um, once we got someone in there, yes. Okay. <laughs> so from I guess it was like January through April, I think when it sat vacant. Um, you know, it was zero dollars, obviously, and then we got back up to the eight fifty again. Okay, so rents are a difference there. I mean, your repairs and maintenance across the two years, not that much higher. Since your first year, you had none. Your second year, you had some. In the long run, that's the average out. Sometimes you're at 29 actual versus 26.50 pro forma. Mm-hmm. So not a huge discrepancy there, but yeah, the utilities, ouch. Mm-hmm. I got you too, huh? Yeah, exactly. I kind of lumped that in with vacancy, just being an absolute profit killer. Yeah. Because yeah, I never, you know, for us, you know, I just round up property management and, and my vacancy numbers can I count for because, you know, normally we don't have three or four months of vacancy. So, you exactly. know, the $40 in utility cost for two weeks is just, is, is nothing. Exactly. That's how my attitude out here in Denver is. Same here. You know, okay. I mean, like, I think we've mentioned on previous podcasts that, you know, my vacancy here is effectively about 0%. So, um, you know, $10 in utilities for one day or whatever it is, is just not even, you know, not even going to concern me at all. So. All right. So annual cash flow of four and $13 combined for those two years. Yes. I'm assuming we'll go talk the Colorado Springs property next, right? Exactly. Okay. Um, so then I just wanted to kind of, you know, like I had mentioned previously, this is my very first property. I didn't know what I was doing. So I wanted to go back and kind of 
have retrospective thought on, you know, where I made some errors. Um, and I just wanted to highlight, I shouldn't have relied so heavily on numbers prepared by others. I should have performed my own analysis. You don't know what you don't know, especially if this is your very first rental property. So, you know, I have to be, be kind to myself on, on this one, not beat myself up too much on it. It's part of your, uh, your education fee, right? Exactly. That's how I see it too. Um, so then going into Colorado Springs, so, um, you know, just to kind of go, you know, side by side again, we have the pro forma and actuals for year one and year two, and then we have the total pro forma and total actuals. So, uh, going in, I bought this, uh, I think it was March of 2017. So just about a year after the Indy property. Um, and if we kind of scroll down for year one, um, annual cash flow. Um, between pro forma and actual, I'm up about 300 bucks from pro forma. So I performed $300 better than what I was budgeting for. And then the same thing, uh, the next year I was up about hundred dollars better than what I was budgeting for. So all in all, my total pro forma was, um, $3,473 and my total actual cash flow for the two years was $3,862. So I actually came out about $400 ahead of what I was budgeting for, um, which I thought was interesting how close I came to my actual performa numbers on this one. Can, can I uh, ask a few detailed questions on here? Sure. Cause one thing that's very interesting to me on here is that you know in your performance you have the the ten percent PM fee, mm -hmm. your actuals you have none since you were self managing, mm -hmm. but for both years as well your repairs and maintenance were higher than you had yeah. performed. Yeah. So what happened with the repairs and maintenance on this? Because I mean your performance around twelve hundred year one, your actual was like twenty eight hundred, mm -hmm. similar numbers for year two. So what what's the story there? Great question. So um, that was kind of my retrospective on, on this particular property is that I should have used higher CapEx and maintenance. Um, the property was previously flipped, but being new to investing, I didn't really pay attention to things that I should have been paying attention to when we walked the property. So there's a lot of stuff that when you turn it into a rental property, it's really important to take note of. So for instance, um, the fence was in disrepair. So we had to basically fix the fence because, you know, we were renting to people with dogs and that's a really important thing that I do down here is rent to people with pets because yep. it's more people in the door. So, you know, that was really important. We needed to make sure that the dogs were safe and everything. So we had to fix the fence. Um, the, you know, the washer and dryer that were installed originally were probably, you know, off the truck type of washer and dryer. They didn't last too long. So we had to replace that. So it's just kind of, um, you know, me still being really new to the process and, and needing to, kind of hone in on what is important for maintaining a rental property. So this is extremely high repairs and maintenance um, for this particular one. Okay. Now I want to just really kind of give a different perspective on here because going at the combined two years for this, you had about 3,500 pro forma for annual cash flow and about 3850 for your total. 
Mm-hmm. Now, if you had actually hired a property manager at 10%, which actually probably been a little bit lower since you've got some of your vacancy and churn cost in the other areas, mm-hmm. you know, but say that was, you know, $2,500 or so in actual PM fees, your cash flow would have been, what, about two grand lower, I guess $2,500 lower than your actual numbers are. Yep. Um, again, just want to really highlight, you know, because everything in my mind is just pros and cons. Yeah. Um, our goal here is to provide you data, you know, poke holes in it and help you guys make the right decision. Jenny and I are both big fans of investing in our backyards. So if you actually hired a property manager, your cash flow would have been lower. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, a reality. But since this is in your backyard, you're able to self-manage and therefore create better cash flow, right? Exactly. And kind of if you look uh, line by line, the complete difference is right on that repair and maintenance line. Uh, sorry, say that again. So if you look um, line by line on the performa and actuals, the majority of the difference is that repairs and maintenance um, line item just totally missed the ball on that one. Oh uh, yeah. The actual is about six grand. <laughs> the total is about 2,400. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And so this is, hey, this is, again, they said learning experience, but also the fact that you're able to self-manage. Those two things help you still have a positive cash flow. Exactly. And from the managing uh, standpoint, I mean, how how much more time did this take or how much time did it take you to manage your out-of-state property manager versus you self-managing this rental? Because either way, you're starting to put time into manage your, your tenant or manage your property manager. Exactly. So, I mean, I would say it's very comparable. So, you know, we have really, even on this one, which is our second property, I believe in Colorado Springs, um, we kind of figured out a process, you know, we use cozy to collect rents. We outsource all of our repairs and maintenance. We are not handy people. So we outsource them to people that are are good at that. Um, so it's really just taking phone calls and organizing and coordinating things. Whereas, um, same thing was happening in India, you know, we're calling saying, Hey, why is there no one in this property? Like what is going on? Why, you know, when are they going to fix, you know, the, the damage that the previous tenants did. So in terms of, um, headache, Colorado Springs was significantly less because it was just normal business. Like nothing out of the ordinary happens, stuff breaks, you know, no one's fault, fix it and move on with life. But, um, you know, the out of state, I felt, kind of helpless a little bit because I couldn't, you know, I couldn't really do anything. So it was more stressful to me. And the last thing I want to point out to our, our listeners here is I'm just, I'm kind of just keeps getting your data on here, Jenny, mm-hmm. is that your total utilities for those two years is $42. So <laughs> yeah. 2.00 mm-hmm. versus 1100. And so is that just that's in year one. So is that like the first couple of weeks you bought it and excels in your name or not Excel, but whatever you guys use down in the Springs? Yep. CSU. Exactly. You, you got it complete. Um, you know, we bought the house, then we marketed it for rent and I think it took a couple of days to get it filled and, and turned over. Awesome. Yeah. So then I think it's also important to kind of go in and look at it holistically. So I know Chris always mentions on his podcast about the return on investment quadrant. And I really like that because it's really a, a tool to show you, okay, cash flows and everything, which I know he's, he's talked about a lot. There's other aspects to, to return. So just kind of going into that. 
as I mentioned, we held both properties for about two years and sold both of them about after two years. So just kind of going through everything I have on the spreadsheet for those of you listening, uh, purchase price, sales price, selling costs, net sales proceeds, and then of course the capitalized purchase and buying costs. So just taking the difference between those two figures, the appreciation return for Indianapolis was about a negative $5,000, meaning we lost about $5,000 between the sale and purchase of the property. And, and is that including, oh, is that including your, your, your sales costs in there? Cause I see the purchase price in India at mm-hmm. 73,400, your sales is 75,500, but you're taking mm-hmm. the, the, the sales cost to the transaction cost and the appreciation number. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. And how'd you sell for so cheap for $2,500 out there? That seems very low for transaction and it, you know, it is. yeah, our, our, yeah, our PM helped us. They knew that we were not super thrilled about <laughs> this property. So they did us a big favor and, um, you know, sold it for, for very low transaction for us. Okay. So you got that. Now, what about the Springs property? Just comparing, let's do it. Let's, let's compare these four uh, ways to make money in real estate. Indy versus Springs line by line, because this is really interesting to me. Sure. Um, do you want me to go over the sales data first? Yes. Okay. So for purchase price, Indianapolis was $73,400. Colorado Springs, $154,900. So it was almost double. Um, actually, it was more than double. Um, so then if we're going to sales price for Indianapolis, I sold it for 75500 Colorado Springs, we sold it for $204,500. Selling costs for Indy, $2,555. Colorado Springs was $10,814. And then now, the next, oh, sorry, sorry before you jump on the next lines, from the Colorado Springs, did you sell this once you're an agent or is this still before you're an agent? Nope, I had another agent sell it for me. Okay, so you had all the normal, just full selling cost. Mm-hmm, exactly. Okay. Um, net sales proceeds for Indy was 72,945. And then the net sales proceeds for Colorado Springs was 193,685.50. So then I went back and looked at the capitalized purchase and buying costs. Cause I wanted to see, you know, when we bought the thing, how much we spent on, um, loan costs, title costs, all that good stuff. So looking at Indy, it was 77,938. And Colorado Springs was 158,440. So taking the difference between that and the net sales proceeds, Indy, we have a negative $4,993. And then for Colorado Springs, we're up $35,245. So obviously some big difference here, because looking at the percent returns on here. So Indy's a negative five grand. Mm-hmm. So that's a negative 30% return mm-hmm. springs was basically a 35 grand positive net or just over a hundred percent return on your money. Exactly. So I'm curious too, cause I mean, you know, obviously like, you know, the front range, we are in an appreciating time right now where the, the numbers appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you say when people say, well, you can't, you can't bank on appreciation. Like what would be your response there? And what was your thinking at the time while you're going through this as well? Cause that's a very common, you know, 
debate that all investors have, I think. Yeah. And I think it's a very valid point to make. I, I would agree. You cannot bank on appreciation going into it. We didn't bank on appreciation. I think, however, for front range markets, it's very reasonable to expect moderate appreciation um, just due to the economy, really. I mean, there's people constantly moving in here. Demand is high. Um, you know, su- supply can't keep up with the demand of, of people wanting to buy and rent homes here. So I don't think it's unreasonable to expect something moderate. All right. Let's talk about cash flow now. Sure. So cash flow, as we mentioned for Indy, $413 for two years. So about 3% return on my initial investment of $16,500. For Colorado Springs, it was $3,862, which is about 11% on my initial investment of $34,500. All right. So they're both positive there. So that's good. And before we move on to debt pay down depreciation, those are going to be, you know, much more... um, static. Yep. Do you have any idea since you sold this two or three years ago, like, you know, just the what if, Hey, if you'd kept it, <laughs> I mean, do you know what the price would be now or have rents increased by chance? I do. So <laughs> I have a property that's right down the road from this one and it's now worth 230,000 and I'm renting it for $1,300 a month. Say that, say the rent again, $1,300 a month. Okay. What about the indie property? You have kind of any idea of that on that by chance? No, I, I haven't looked into it. I've just kind of left that in the past. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Leave that in the closet. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I'm not sure. Okay. I, I, if you ever get bored, I'd be curious to know. Um, cause I, I hear a lot of times just, you know, one of our, uh, talked to some the day, her mom was moving from not Indianapolis, but a Midwest market from Denver. And she's owned her house there for, I want to say 10 years. And she's going to lose a few dollars on it. Cause there's been literally 0% appreciation. Wow. Wow. Cause yeah, guys, once you pay the transaction cost, which real estate, you always pay transaction costs and mm-hmm. she's going to lose a few dollars, which just, it, it, it's very interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it's a different concept than what we're used to here for sure. Yeah. I'd be curious. So if the cash flow, if that all set it, but yeah, that's, that's always hard to tell. All right. So getting on to debt, pay, debt pay down and depreciation, let's talk about those and compare those Indy versus Springs. Yeah. So, um, as, as I mentioned, um, the interest rates that we had for Indy and Colorado Springs, they're pretty similar, you know, 4.875 for Indy, 5% for Colorado Springs, both resulting in 9%. Um, that pay down over two years. That makes sense to me. Um, obviously numerically Colorado Springs looks like it's doubled, but you know, it's the same percentage. It's just a larger asset, um, more leveraged and then depreciation pretty similar as well. About 1500 for Indy and then 2240 for Colorado Springs. Indy is a little bit higher just because their land allocation is, is lower. So um, that's the discrepancy there between Indy and Colorado Springs. Now, what about your total return? So if we add up everything between the two markets, uh, I'm at a total negative $1,654 for Indy and a positive 
$445 for Colorado Springs. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and something that's interesting to me looking at the indie numbers here, and if you guys want to see this, this is all going to be in the blog post. Um, the biggest dollar amount you have in your return is it just under 1500 for depreciation, then just under 1430 for debt pay down, then the cash was your biggest returns when Indy was actually depreciation and debt pay down, which is really interesting to me. Yeah, especially since depreciation is a non-cash <laughs> um, attribute. So it's, you know, <laughs> not, not yeah, all Did you actually exciting. get to realize that benefit since you were basically were able to write that off actually since you're well, no, I, I still had to pay recapture on it <laughs> Ooh, okay yeah <laughs> so so obviously this one was not worth 1031 no <laughs> yeah. yeah it was just we kind of licked our wounds and moved on so cool yeah um, great this is great data jenny thanks yeah so i wanted to kind of sum up you know Again, this is my personal opinion and kind of why we shifted our strategy, but just kind of highlighting the fact that vacancy absolutely kills cash flow. It is so important, and I didn't really ever take into account that that's like probably one of the most important um, you know things to keep an eye on on your property. Um, and just kind of highlighting the fact that the Colorado Springs property had basically 0%. I mean, it was a few days vacant when we, between when we first bought it and first got it rented out um, over the two years, whereas the Indy property was vacant for three months in less than two years. Um, and I believe that this is due to the demand of rentals and lack of supply of reasonably priced rental properties in Colorado Springs um, and probably vice versa elsewhere. I, I, I don't know specifically, but I would have to imagine that there's probably more rental properties in some of the cash flow markets as there are compared to here. So it kind of gives everyone who does choose to invest in Colorado Springs a bit of a leg up because it's more of a rare, rare find to get a rental property compared elsewhere. Um, and I think this is an, another thing, because I agree with you, the whole vacancy thing. Mm -hmm. And that's something, you know, it's, it's I, I don't hear people discussing when they're, you know, debating out of state versus investing in their backyard, especially here in the, you know, in our markets, is that Denver is, you know, it's a tighter, or I mean, the springs in Denver are tighter cash flow markets, but there's just that big demand there because people are moving here. People need rental properties. There's just huge demand for it, which is great as a landlord. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's more valuable than you know until you're in it, I think. Yeah. Um, so then uh, I kind of gained some per personal introspective, uh, you know, value from it. Also, I realized how much of a control freak I am <laughs> after this. So, um, you know, being able to be close to the property and at the time that we had bought this, we were living up in Parker. So still about an hour, an hour away. Um and even though I outsourced the majority of the work, there was just a sense of control that I had that if something happened, I could drive down there and look at it. And for some reason that just helped me sleep better at night. And, you know, this is totally just a, a personality trait of my own. So it doesn't necessarily apply to everyone else, but just kind of um, how I operate and function. 
And that's something I agree with. That was something years ago when I looked at out-of-state investing, that was something I realized. Uh, and also to take it one step further, I'm generally speaking, I'm an optimist in life, but when it comes to, to investments and business and just day-to-day things, it's, I always think it's a matter of when, not if something goes bad. It's, it's a matter of when just something goes sideways on you. And it's yep. much easier to be able, I think, handle something local versus an airplane right away. And that was one of my biggest deterrents. I agree. And then something else that I've kind of, um, you know, focused on was that I believe a strong economy equals strong performance when it comes to rental properties. So because Colorado Springs has a stronger um, economy, it helped more significantly with the total return. So not only did, you know, my vacancy rate drop, but my appreciation return also increased. Um, So even if we take all that out, my cash on cash return was still better than the property that was in the, you know, a cash flow, a traditional cash flow market. So I think that's just kind of important to highlight. No, I think it is. So I want to, I'm curious because I, I've actually never invested out of state, you know, like you have, I did, you know, have an out of state investment property, but that was a property I actually lived in. I basically house hacked and nomaded, nomaded it in Nevada about a decade ago, lived there, then moved away. Um, but what I've, what I've told people as I have this discussion on a very regular basis is that, and I really want to hear your opinion on here is that, you know, Investing, it's all pros and cons, whether investing here or investing out of state, all pros mm-hmm. and cons. Yep. But I feel like I said my two biggest things from looking at it myself and talking to a lot of people that have done it successfully, and also a lot of people that have kind of gone your route where, hey, we owned it, not for us, and then brought the money back locally. The two things I recommend now is like, if you have some type of competitive advantage in, a, in an out-of-state marketplace, I think it makes sense to look at there. Like you grew up there or you still have family or a very trusted person there that can basically be your, your trusted boots on the ground, whether they're in real estate or a contractor or just your brother or family that you entrust to help be that like eyes on the ground to make sure it works. Um, I think that is a potential reason to look out or, you know, to out of state invest. But the other thing is the people I know that have done very well investing out of state, a lot of them lived on an airplane for a year or two. I might be exaggerating there a lot, but they spent a lot of time flying back and forth. And the first year or two, a lot of them, they had very negative returns until they got the areas and property management dialed in. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you're willing to, ha- if you have that competitive advantage, you're willing to put that time out there, it can make a lot of sense. If you can't, uh, I'm a big fan of investing locally. But so what advice do you give people in terms of just, you know, pros and cons, um, and I always try to attach myself. Obviously, I'm biased towards Denver. I think you're biased towards the Springs. Um, mm-hmm. What type of like pros and cons would you tell people? I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. If you do have a competitive advantage, exploit it for sure. Um, I think that that will, you know, make things a lot easier for you in the long run and potentially, you know, allow you to have a better return on that other market than here for sure. Um, but otherwise, I mean, I think that it's just really, really important to do as much research as you can. Um, we thought that we did, we thought we had a good grasp of it. Um, you know, but it's just easier when you can just drive to the neighborhood and 
look around and just kind of hang out at the house for a while. It just, I think that you're able to kind of consume, you know, data a lot better that way when you're able to just kind of be there in person. And that's, again, that could just be me, but um, I think that's something to consider as well. Great. Well, Jenny, this has been a great presentation on your part. Great data. So thank you for putting this together. I know how tedious it is when you gather the data. So thank you. I appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners do as well. Thank you. Awesome. Well, we'll wrap up this podcast. If you guys have questions uh, on investing in the Springs market or want to dive more in the data, reach out to Jenny. Her contact is on the website or email her at jenny at envisionrea.com. Thanks, everyone.